please pray with me. Almighty God, as we enter into the mysteries of our salvation and the work of reconciliation that Jesus did for us from his entry into Jerusalem until his rising on the third day, Lord, please open our hearts to the truth of the gospel. Give me a mouth to preach and give us all ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this entire reading from the Passion narrative according to St. Matthew is it's painted on a backdrop of fear. It's painted, on, I would say there's a, a tableau of dread behind all of this. And from year to year as we hear this read, and we'll hear the Passion narrative, not always from Matthew's Gospel, but that's one of the Passion narratives every three years. And then we always hear St. John's Passion narrative every year on Good Friday. But we become accustomed to this. And as, if you're following our daily office readings, if you're following along, along in the readings for uh, the Christian year found in the back of the prayer book, you're going to come three, three or four times through this reading about the crucifixion, the suffering of Jesus. And after a while, we begin to lose that, that sense of impending doom that was behind all of this, for, certainly for our Lord Jesus. And we should be feeling that as we read this scriptures. And I think that is particularly important for us in this season of Lent in the year 2020 because we are, we are reading this and we are going through Lent and we're entering into Holy Week with a backdrop of fear and with a tableau of dread and with a sense of doom. People are, are afraid and people are, in fact, some people are terrified right now because of what is happening in the world. The whole world is being shaken by this pandemic, not only the fear of, of illness and, and in some cases death, but also how this is uh, wreaking havoc with our day-to-day -day lives. Who knew that we would all be giving up church for Lent? You know, it's, the, you know, it's the, like we have topped Lent forever and ever this year. And so we need to hear this again and hear it with that sense of impending doom, that sense of dread, and not run to the empty tomb, but to walk with Jesus through what he was walking through as he came to, into Jerusalem. Because Jesus, if you, go, if you go all the way back to where this passage in Matthew's gospel really has its literary, be, literary beginning, the passion narrative really begins in Matthew chapter 26 at verse 2, with Jesus stating once again that he knew he was going to die. What is it when you feel like you're going to die? If you know you're going to die, you have a sense of dread. And this is what he says. He says in verse 2 of Matthew 26, You know that after two days the Passover is coming. And the disciples are thinking, yay, Passover. And Jesus is probably going to be set up as king on Passover. That will be awesome. And then Jesus says, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Over and over in all of the Gospels, it is clear that Jesus knew that he was going to die. He lived his life. He did his ministry with the backdrop of knowing that he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. 
He knew who was going to be guilty of the events that would lead to his death. He knew exactly how he was going to die. He didn't just say, I'm going to be killed or stoned. He said, I'm going to be crucified. He said that he would be crucified. And in Matthew chapter 20, right before the triumphal rent entry, that was Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, right before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, <clears throat> where we started this Palm Sunday, this is what Matthew's gospel says. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, so he's getting ready to enter Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Yay, we're going up to Jerusalem. And then Jesus says, And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day so right before the glorious triumphal entry immediately and immediately following it bracketed by that event Jesus is explicitly telling his disciples that he was going to suffer supreme injustice that he was going to be humiliated and tortured and killed you know, irony, that sense of irony was not a well-developed sensibility in the ancient world. Ancient writers didn't use irony as a, a literary uh, construct. People didn't go around with a sense of irony in the ancient world, generally speaking. But how painfully ironic. The shouts of acclaim, the praises, the jubilation, the waving of palm branches in the air all must have seemed to, seemed to Jesus in his humanity as he knew where that palm-strewn road to Jerusalem was going to lead. He knew. Where's a backdrop of dread? Yes, Jesus also foretold his resurrection in, in union with foretelling his passion, but the knowledge of his death was no less terrifying to Jesus than the knowledge of our own deaths are to us, even as we await our resurrection. You need to see where Jesus really fought the battle that would get him through that, those, those terrible moments. Uh, how did he deal with the dread, with the angst, with the, with the impending sense of doom of what was about to happen. You need to know how he dealt with that, how he fought that battle that got him through the suffering that was to come, <clears throat> that suffering which was to usher in our salvation. And he didn't fight, this is so important, he did not fight that battle in front of the Sanhedrin. He didn't fight that battle in front of Pilate. He didn't fight that battle on the cross. It was fought, Jesus fought that battle where humanity's first battle was fought and lost in the garden. Jesus fought his battle with what was about to happen, not in front of the Sanhedrin or Pilate or on the cross. He fought it where humanity fought and lost its first battle. For Jesus, the battle was fought and won. Jesus fought and won the battle with terror and dread and with all that was to happen in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. 
Matthew 26, 37, where our reading, our, our account of the Passion began this morning. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Jesus didn't face this moment as a superman. He faced it as a fully embodied human being because he had to fight the battle in the garden just like we lost the battle in the garden as human beings. And so Jesus is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know, the first blood that Jesus shed for our redemption wasn't at Pilate's whipping post. It wasn't when they pressed that crown of thorns down on his scalp and pierced his brow. It wasn't when the nails went through his hands and feet as they fixed him to the cross. It was in the garden. That's where the first blood of this battle was drawn. Luke's gospel says it clearly. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Luke's passion narrative says this. And Jesus, and Jesus being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That is where, that is where the blood of our salvation began to flow. Here is the point. People are terrified in this world right now. You need to know that the knowledge of his coming death was no less terrified, terrifying to Jesus than the knowledge of our own deaths. In fact, his horror exceeds ours because he didn't just have to face the pain of his death or even the shame of the death or the ending of his bodily life. He also faced the fact that he would be taking upon himself the penalty of humanity's sin. That's the battle that's being fought in the garden. That's what the dread is. It's not just that he's going to die a painful and shameful death. He's dreading that he has to take the cup that the Father offers him. And we know what the cup is because the cup is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17. It is the cup of God's wrath. Father offered Jesus the cup of wrath. Jesus knew that he wasn't just going to suffer and die, but that he was going to be crushed for our iniquities. C.J. Mahaney writes, he says, Knowing the hour for his death is fast approaching. This is the battle moment. Jesus has come to the garden in need as never before of his Father's comfort and strength. Instead, hell, utter separation from God, is thrust in his face. And that is the moment of, of the greatest conflict. What will he do? Yet not my will, but your will be done. You see, in his great love for the Father and his great love for us, Jesus accepted God's will in spite of the terror. And he did that because of love. 
He loved his father and trusted his father, and he loved us. Charles Spurgeon, God bless him. He said, Jesus took the cup in both hands, and he drank, he drank damnation dry. Jesus took the cup in both hands and drank damnation dry. And from the time that Jesus left that garden where the battle was the hottest and the fray was the fiercest, until he offers up his cry of dereliction and gives up his spirit on the cross, Jesus retained after that moment his composure and his peace through all that was to happen because he knew he was fulfilling the Father's sovereign plan of love. For sinners like me and you, Jesus was in control and Jesus was at peace for the Sanhedrin. If you look at this, this narrative that we just read, and if you go through all the passion narratives in all, all four Gospels, you see that there's one person that is like the fixed point in all that happened in those hours between the arrest of Jesus and the crucifixion, the person who retains his composure, the person who never loses his decorum. Jesus is in control and at peace before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate. And even as he is beaten and scourged and mocked like a lamb before his shearers is silent. Or a lamb before the slaughter. As he was nailed to the cross, even then he retained his composure. He forgave his persecutors. He even offered a repentant criminal on the cross beside him, eternal life. In face of terror, Jesus trusted the Father's will. Brothers and sisters, we are facing terror about our future. Some of us, I know right now, if it hasn't already happened, you're seeing it happen. Some of us are terrified because we're going to lose our jobs. It's going to happen to Christians. Some of us may lose our homes. I, I, I know people right now who are afraid they're going to lose their homes because they can't pay their mortgages. They're terrified about their children are supposed to go to college this fall and they can't pay for college now. And they're even afraid that they might die. Christian people are feeling this way because of the pandemic. But friends, because we're united to Jesus as believers, we can, even in the face of that terror, just as Jesus did, we need to get on our knees in our garden, in our prayer closet, and pray and learn to trust the Father's will. This is our Gethsemane moment, church. This is our Gethsemane moment. In this time, we need to fall on our faces before God like Jesus as it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, in the days of his earthly life, Jesus offered up prayers. He's thinking specifically of this moment, the writer of Hebrews is. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. 
to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. When we come out of that garden moment, we can face suffering that might be before us with the same peace that Jesus faced Holy Week with. Because he lives in us by his spirit. He'll walk us through this moment again. Jesus fought his battle with suffering in prayer, and that's the only way we're going to face the suffering that will come into our lives as we walk the way of the cross with Jesus. You know, Western, rich Western Christians are shocked that we should have to suffer, that we really aren't in control. That's why it is a severe mercy that we are going through what we are going through right now in the United States and throughout the West and, yes, all over the world during this Holy Week. We are reminded that to follow Jesus is to follow the one who went not up to joy, but first went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Brothers and sisters, Western Christians, you can't enter into joy before you walk the way of the cross. You can't be glorified until you, until you take that cross upon you that Jesus said we had to take up your cross and follow. God is showing us mercy. He's showing us the deficiency of our shallow, trivial discipleship. And I know my discipleship was shallow because it's shaken me. Why am I so worried? Why are you so worried? You see, we prayed it this morning. We pray it every morning uh, on Friday mornings at morning prayer. We ask God to mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. This ends at an empty tomb. This ends with resurrection victory. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to be like Jesus... Right now, starting in the garden with him, we're going to be like Jesus. And we're going to have to walk this way with him all the way to the cross. It is the way of life and peace. We will find strength and hope. It begins in our garden of prayer in that time of Gethsemane, that Gethsemane moment where we cry out to God with, with tears and with loud cries to the one who can deliver us from death. And as we trust in him, he will deliver us. Come what may, we will find his, his power for living the Christian life and his supply even in the midst of loss. If you're thinking, of, look, you're, <laughs> some of you really are about to lose everything. But I want to assure you as your pastor, I didn't, I heard this from, a young woman in Iraq, she said, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. You're going to find out that you have all you need. God is going to provide for you. Even in loss, you will be provided for. He's still clothing the flowers of the field. He's still 
adorning those birds of the air and feeding them, that hasn't stopped yet. And he'll take care of you too. Just hold on to the cross. Cry out in Gethsemane with Jesus, and he will bring us through. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.